You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. We struggle because our concept of God is small, and it's a matter of perspective. The simple conclusion is, when God is big, your problems are small. However, when God is small, your problems are enormous. So it's a concept of how you believe. See, most of the problems that people have today with their concept of God is the fact that they believe Him to be too small. What is your concept of God? Is He big or small, powerful or puny? Today, Pastor Dave challenges you to allow God to be big for you. When God is big in your life, you'll find that your problems become small. However, if you cling to the concept of an incapable God, your small problems will seem overwhelming. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 26 as he begins his message, How Big Is Your God? Please turn to Acts 26. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. We're starting a new chapter in the book of Acts. We'll begin reading in Acts 26. And it's interesting that we are coming very, very close to the end of our study in the book of Acts. I don't know what our hurry is to get to the end, but anyhow, we're coming close to the end of the book of Acts, counting at chapter 26. There's only three more chapters, 26, 27, and 28. So, We'll see what the Lord has for us. So we're really excited about this, too. This has been a fun time, too. So if you found Acts 26, won't you follow along silently as I read aloud? Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews especially because you are an expert in all customs and in questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise are twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and, have, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue, and, ex- and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, now we sit before you as we study your word. We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful, Father God, that we have this time that we can be before you, Lord, 
and that we can sit at your feet and have you expound on these pages. Father, open up our hearts to receive all that you might have for us today. Open up our minds, open up our eyes that we might see the gracious and glorious things you want to show us, Lord. We thank you for this time we have, Lord. We ask that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we, I was reading the scriptures this morning, as I was looking through the scriptures that we're going to study, over and over and over, I kept on asking myself this question, and it's the question I want to pose to you this morning. How big is the God you serve? How big is the God you serve? So I guess the question really can be rephrased is, how big is your concept of God? How big is your concept of God? Because is the God you serve big enough to perform miracles on your behalf? Or does your concept of God limit what he is able to do for you? Is your God big enough to do the miracles that you need to be done in your life? Or is your concept of God so limiting that that limits exactly what he can do for you? But when your concept of God is big, it's all about trusting in him. It's all about knowing that he's ever-present. It's seeing him in the midst of all circumstances, whether they be joyful or whether they be painful. And here's where the problem starts. We struggle because our concept of God is small, and it's a matter of perspective. The simple conclusion is, when God is big, your problems are small. However, when God is small, your problems are enormous. So it's a concept of how you believe. See, most of the problems that people have today with their concept of God is the fact that they believe him to be too small. In fact, J.B. Phillips wrote a book, said, your God is too small. And that's true of many people. Many many people's view of God is that he is indeed a small God. Their concept of him is that he is small. And, and Phillips states that he says that some people have what he calls an anthropomorphic concept of God. Now, that's a pretty large word, anthropomorphic, and I had to pronounce it about 27 times before I got it right. Anthropomorphic simply means that we ascribe human characteristics to a non-human thing. How many of you do that to your pet? We ascribe human characteristics to their pet because, let's face it, sometimes they act pretty human, don't they? So we ascribe these human characteristics to our pet. We do the same thing to God. We ascribe human characteristics to our God. So man's concepts of God becomes man's idea of God. Or man creating God using the limitations and Man, using his limitations, creates God with human characteristics, and we expect God to act like humans. This is far from the truth. See, I found out in my own life that whenever man creates a God, we create him way too small. We create God way too small when we decide that we are the creator. This is the basic question that Paul is asking King Agrippa today in our study. How big's your God, King? Do you think it incredible to God to raise the dead? How big is your God? We find the Apostle Paul now standing before King Agrippa and his wife Bernice. The reigning governor, Festus, has agreed that Paul should testify to Caesar in Rome. But he needs to send a charge with him. He just can't send them there on his own. He needs to send some sort of a charge so that he can testify. 
After a real flowery introduction by Festus of King Agrippa, the king says to Paul, you can speak, and this is where we pick up our study in verses 1 to 3. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Paul acknowledges the king with an outstretched hand. Simply what Paul did, he went like this. Almost like, by your leave, my king. He stretched out his hand and went like this, acknowledging the king. No flowery speech. But then once again, we find Paul giving his testimony. This is about the second or third time now that Paul is having a chance to give his testimony. And he begins once again to tell things about his life. He thanks the king for a chance to speak. He's especially happy because the king's background when it comes to Judaism. History tells us that King Agrippa, or Herod Agrippa, was a real student of Judaism. He was a real student of Jewish customs and a real student of Jewish law. And he was noted for his vast understanding of the Jewish people. Remember, Paul is standing before and looking in the eyes of a man whose great-grandfather tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. This great-grandfather also had a son, and that grandfather of Agrippa was the one who had James beheaded. His entire family history lends you to believe that Agrippa wouldn't have much time for Paul, just from what he knows already about Christianity. But Paul understood something about Agrippa. It was the knowledge that Agrippa had of the Jews. It was his knowledge of what the Jews knew. I also believe that Paul saw this as a great opportunity to preach the gospel because I know Paul, he never missed a beat. When it came to the gospel, he was there. So Paul's thinking, well, you know, King Agrippa has a lot of intelligence when it comes to the matter of Jewsism. This might be an opening to salvation. This might be an opening to to the door. But also keep in mind this. It also fulfills a prophecy that Jesus Christ spoke about Paul in Acts 9.15. When he was talking to Ananias, he said, He, Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Paul finds himself standing before a king, now going to give the testimony of Jesus Christ. Paul begins his testimony in verses 4 and 5. We see it here. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning, among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul states his credentials, says, I was a faithful Jew before my conversion to Jesus Christ. I was a Pharisee. Remember, the Pharisees are the orthodox of the orthodox. They were the strict ones. They were the radicals. They were the ones who went the second mile when it seemed to be exacting the religious practices. Everything had to be perfect with the the Pharisees. They obliged and they applied the law to the very letter, the letter of the law. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees and righteousness? He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees thought they were most righteous. Pharisees thought they were most noble. They kept strictly to the law. They kept strictly to the traditions and the customs of Judaism. Unfortunately, 
they paid more attention to the traditions and the customs than they did to the commandments. And this is why Jesus railed against them. Jesus got extremely angry with them. So Paul tells the king, I was once a Pharisee. This is who I was. And in verse 6, we see him reminding Agrippa about the promise of God. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. He's saying, King Agrippa, you're still waiting for the promise of God. You're still waiting for the Messiah. Guess what? I've seen him. I've seen the Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. I found him and I worship him. And I'm standing in front of you now and I'm being judged because I have hope in this promise. I saw this promise face to face. It's an interesting tactic here used by Paul. He knows that King Herod knows the prophecies. So Paul takes what he knows and tries to bring them in the light of God. You know, as we share the gospel, and I hope we do, I hope from time to time you get a chance to share the gospel message with those on the outside. But sometimes we need to take what we think or what they already know about God and apply it to the gospel message. Many say, I believe in God. What a great place to start. What a great place to start. You believe in God. Even at this background and knowing, then you can demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. Do you know God? Do you know God as Jesus? And you introduce our Savior and you introduce salvation through that because many, many people know God. We have to pray and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and, and through us and help us to speak the gospel. Help us to speak the gospel in the people's lives to help them understand the gospel. We take what they know. Many people come from various religions where God is preached. Even Jesus is preached. Many people know that, but we need to put it together as far as the Scriptures are concerned and show them the love of Christ. Paul's still speaking about the promise of the Messiah in verse 7 when he says this, To the promise are twelve tribes earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused before you today. So the king is knowledgeable in all things pertaining in Judaism. He knows the promise of the fathers. He knows that the patriarchs, the 12 tribes, were promised this Messiah that would come. Paul is saying, I'm standing here today because I've declared Jesus Christ of Nazareth the Messiah. And that's why I'm standing before you. That's the reason I'm here today. You know what is interesting when I read these kind of things? I know when you've talked to people, you mention God. Many, many people are, yeah, they'll talk about God with you. And they'll, yeah, I believe in God, stuff like that. But as soon as you mention Jesus Christ, all bets are off. It's like the word Jesus brings the hair on the back of their neck stand up. You can mention anything you want in the whole wide world except Jesus. You can talk about God all you want, but you mention Jesus, people just all of a sudden, they get their, their dander up. Talk about the man upstairs. Yeah, I'll talk about the man upstairs. You know, the man upstairs has a son, Jesus. Oh, Jesus! And they get angry. They think that Jesus is the only thing you say at a ballpark when there's a bad call. Don't ever say that he's the only way to heaven either because then you really have a hard time. People don't want to hear that. But we know the truth because that's what God's Word tells us. We know that's because of the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and that every tongue will confess we know that it's by the name of Jesus that man comes to salvation. And Peter said it so well at the beginning of Acts in chapter 4, verse 12. He said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which must be saved, by which must be saved. In other words, Jesus is the name to salvation. So you can talk about God all you want. 
but you need to know who Jesus is because Jesus is the way to salvation. Oh, how Paul wished that King Agrippa would be saved. How he wished he could put all the pieces together, all the Judaism that he knows, put all the pieces of together. We have many of our friends, many of our fam- families who are practicing some sort of religion. Oh, how they would put the pieces together of what they know. How they would put the pieces together and know that Jesus is the one. He said clearly, I am the way, I'm the truth, and the life. How they would do that. He hoped the king would take all this knowledge and put it together that was accumulated, and he would trust in Jesus as the Messiah. What a great prayer for our family and friends. But notice how Paul once again returns to the crux of the problem, or crux of the argument. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Notice how Paul once again inserts the resurrection into his gospel message. Remember a couple weeks ago we said that without the resurrection, there is no gospel message? Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no gospel message. So Paul now inserts the gospel message. But this time, Paul takes a different slant. He takes a different angle. And I love this about Paul. He had a bag of tricks that you can't imagine. I love the way he works this out. He uses another tactic. Paul asked King Agrippa, King, how big's your God? How big's your God? Look at verse 8. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? So, King... How big is your God? What a question. Hey, king, tell me the truth now. You're familiar with Judaism. You know all the prophecies about the Messiah. You know everything that's going on. How big is your God? Why do you think it's so incredible that God would raise the dead? Why do you think it's so incredible? This is a question we're being asked constantly. Many, many people are confused about this because their ideas of God are small. Many people have problems with the Bible today. You know, parting of the Red Sea, Jonah in the belly of a whale for three days creation itself. People are having all kinds of problems with these things, not to mention the other miracles. They bring these things up as troubling. They think they're troubling. They think they're difficult scriptures to deal with. Why? Because their concept of God is too small. Let's face it. If God wanted a nuclear submarine to swallow Jonah, don't you think he would have had a nuclear submarine to swallow Jonah? Then everybody would have gone, oh, I understand that. Here's a God, a loving Lord who made the entire universe. The entire universe. You don't think he's capable of making a fish big enough to swallow Jonah? It says God prepared a fish. If you read the account, it said God prepared a fish. It wasn't some old shark. It might not have even been a whale. But whatever it was, it was a fish that God had prepared. God had prepared that fish for that time. So your concept of God is all that should be. Why do you think it's incredible that God would create a large fish? Why do you think it's incredible that God would raise the dead? See, the difficulty of the task must be measured and always be measured by the capacity of the agent doing the task. If you have a real, real difficult task and somebody who's not capable of doing the task, well, you can measure it that way. But if you have a difficulty task and you have someone all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-creative doing the task, then what's the difficulty? There should be no difficulty. Why do you think it incredible that God would raise the dead? This is the question he asked. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Stop. Can't swallow that. You're done. If you cannot swallow that one verse and reconcile that one verse, the rest of the book will never make any sense. 
The rest of the book will not make any sense with you of all. A God who is big enough to create the heavens and to create the earth is big enough to do anything else that the Bible says he would do. Why do you think it's incredible that God would raise the dead? Sometimes I think it's our lack of faith that's demonstrated by this great surprise when God does something in our life after we prayed for it. And we can become so surprised that God did it. Oh my gosh, look what God did. Now, it's great, don't get me wrong. But when we see the work of God, it's tough to believe. Our concept of God is so limiting. Why do we limit our concept of God? We limit it. We're the ones that limit it. Oh, God, help us and free us from this narrow concept that we might see the fullness of his glory, that we might see the fullness of him in our lives and look at his power and his majesty and his majestic abilities. Paul wrote that in Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. Is that a big God or what? That's a big God. Oh, God, help us to get it correct to have a correct concept of God so God would free us from this narrow, limited thing, trying to make God into our image, trying to keep God in that little box that we have here. This is God. There's a story of some missionaries in New Hebrides Islands by the name of, his name was John Payton, P-A-T-O-N. One night, hostile natives came around. They surrounded the mission. They were intent on burning he and his wife out and killing them. He and his wife got down on their knees and they prayed all night long. All night long as they heard the hooping and the hollering outside that God would deliver them. All night long they stayed there and prayed. When daylight came, they looked at each other and they were absolutely amazed that they were alive. They were amazed that they were alive. They couldn't believe that they weren't in heaven. They couldn't believe that the Lord had saved them. As they continued their missionary work, a year later, they looked at the chief of that tribe, and he got converted to Jesus Christ. They went up to him and said, remember the day you guys came and you surrounded our, our house, and you were going to burn us down, and you are going to kill us? Why didn't you do that? The chief said, because of all the men around you. And he said, what men? He said, it was just my wife and I in a camp. He said, no, 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 no. We were afraid to attack because we saw hundreds of big men with shining garments and drawn swords surrounding the mission. That's a big God. That's a big God. And when I read this, I immediately went to 2 Kings 6, 15 and 17 with Elisha. I went to 2 Kings 6, 15 and 17 where Elisha and his brand new servant are on the scene. And they're facing this huge army. And it says in verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? You see, the Syrian army detachment had surrounded the place by night. And this new servant who didn't understand Elisha's power, he didn't understand God, was nervous. He had all kinds of fear. He didn't know what was going on. And his faith was so easily shaken by what was happening here. He didn't know how big God was. You are when Jesus left earth following his resurrection, his followers weren't sure what was next. They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. 
Is Jesus asking you to follow his instructions today? Maybe he's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe he's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with his promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.